Welcome to the Royal Meteorological Society latest episode um, on our podcast. We're at the Atmospheric Science Conference 2018 at the University of York. My name is Tara Thompson, Head of Communications at the Society, and I'm joined by... I'm Adam Scaife. I'm uh, Head of Long Range Forecasting at the Met Office and Professor in the Maths Department at Exeter University. Welcome to ASC 2018. It's been a good conference so far today, hasn't it? Yes, fascinating. Yeah, some really interesting talks. Yeah. Many of which are actually directly relevant to my, my own research and, and the issuing of long-range forecasts. So people are starting now to find some signs that there might be predictability for summer, uh, which was kind of unexpected a few years ago. Yeah, it was a great kickoff to, um, to the session this morning. I think it was quite a positive way to start the, uh, to the yeah. event. Yeah. Um, I suppose one of the main aspects of these kind of conferences is science communication. Uh, everyone who's, who attends these conferences wants to make sure that they can get what they're doing in research across to, uh, to the industry um, and the develop, developments that are happening at the minute. Um, in my experience, one of the most difficult things to communicate um, in the media or to, to those who don't understand is uh, long-range forecasting. Mm -hmm. I know that's something that you're heavily involved in at the minute, um, Adam. Could you tell our listeners, how do meteorologists produce a long-range forecast? The production uh, is complicated, it involves several stages, but it's not so different uh, to producing weather forecasts. It's still based on the fundamental physics of the problem, the five underlying equations that govern the atmosphere. And so we're running the same computer models for making long-range forecasts as we are to make short-range forecasts. However, there are some differences. And one of the most important differences is that at the long range, we have to run many, many versions of the forecast. So we produce what's called an ensemble of predictions. Okay. Um, for seasonal forecasting, we might, for example, run around 50 of these uh, per month. And the reason we have to do that is that atmospheric chaos plays a big role. So once you get further out uh, in the forecast, then the, the small differences uh, that might originate in errors in the starting conditions for the forecast can amplify and grow into something big and really affect the outcome. And so we have to, we have to really cover all possibilities by running a large ensemble and then looking at the range of possible forecast uh, uh, outcomes. And what you end up with in the end is, say, instead of a single forecast that we might have, or that might be presented on your TV, for tomorrow, which is almost deterministic, these effects are not quite so large on that time scale, although they are still there, I might add, um, you end up with 50 forecasts. And in some cases, we have to put up our hands and say, there is no predictable signal this month, folks, and so anything goes, but here is the range. And that actually is still useful. So yeah. issuing climatology and the range of possibilities can still be useful, even if there's no predictable signal. But hopefully what we find, and what we find increasingly, even for Europe, is that there are predictable signals. And so what you end up doing is giving the range of outcomes or the probability of different outcomes. And it's slightly more sophisticated level of forecasting than just a deterministic statement. But it still can be just as useful. And so if you know, for example, that there's a 70% chance of a thunderstorm coming as opposed to uh, you know, the normal climatological probability. So if you know the enhanced risk, then you can still use that 
But on these very long ranges, it's not really going to be useful for individuals planning holidays exactly. or events weeks ahead. And so we have to remember that. And so the use of the forecast is rather different, I think, on these long ranges. Yeah, and I imagine it differs quite a lot um, where you are in the world. Um, the weather in Europe mm -hmm. is always quite turbulent, especially in winter conditions. Um, is there a difference between long-term forecasting in Europe in comparison, to, in, in comparison to places like Southeast Asia or South America? That certainly is, and so there are good physical reasons for that. Um, in our part of the world, in the mid-latitudes, then we have the meandering of the jet stream, the uncertainty due to chaos in the, tropical cy uh, the um, extratropical cyclones uh, tracking across the Atlantic, and that adds a lot of chaos to our weather. It means that there are unpredictable elements at long range beyond the weather forecast that are fundamentally unpredictable, and we will never get around that. However, underneath that, there are influences from the tropics. Okay. And as you hinted at in your question, the tropics are much more predictable on long range, and that's because the atmosphere and the ocean really are bolted together. They co-vary month to month, year to year, and those variations are predictable. So if we were living in South America, then the long range forecast would be as good as a weather forecast just a few days ahead in our part of the world. So there are fundamental differences. The tropics is much more predictable on these long timescales, but fortunately, some of that predictability leaks into the mid-latitudes and indeed towards Europe and the UK. And in winter in particular, provides a potentially useful and relatively high level of skill, we think, compared to what we've seen in previous uh, experiments and forecast tests. And so we now think that European winters are more predictable than was previously thought. Well, we saw that with the last winter. I think that was picked up earlier in the season that there was a possibility of a particularly cold winter. Um, and is that what signals do you look out for if you're looking, say, ahead for winter now? Would you be mm -hmm. looking for, with regards to la whether it's a, a La Nina or El Nino year, mm -hmm. what traits are you looking for to determine if it's going to be a colder winter in Europe? So a good portion of the signals that we see at long range for European and UK winters we think are coming out of the tropics. And so the first place you'd look is the tropics and the tropical rainfall in the long range forecast. As you mentioned, El Nino is the biggest single factor. We know that when there is an El Nino, it tends to drive uh, on average, although not on every occasion, but on average, a colder end to the winter in Europe. Similarly for La Nina, it's a reversal of that, so a milder, stormier, uh, wetter end to the winter. And also there are subtle changes within the season. So the early part of winter, November, December, is different to the connection in late winter. But it's really the tropical rainfall and the tropical circulation associated with that that we think is the origin of much of the forecast skill that we're now finding yeah. at these long ranges in the extratropics. So that's really exciting. There's all sorts of research going on around that. And as I mentioned before, this conference has highlighted the possibilities that summer may also have some hidden predictability that hasn't been realized yet in the forecast systems. Our forecast systems are incredibly sophisticated things, and we run many forecast ensembles and use large computers to do things we couldn't do 10, 20 years ago, but of course they're still not perfect. Yes, so the okay. research is important to advance that. So what do you see as the next step in your own research in that case with regards to long-range forecasting? Are you going to focus on the summer aspect of it or are you going to continue to look into, into winter? Or is it a case that you're just going to look at the broad range and 
So the summer is a very interesting area, I think. That's now coming to the fore. In the last few years, we've focused on the winter and we've found some amazing new things in terms of new levels of skill that have been demonstrated. Although even there, there are outstanding questions. Um, there are puzzles about the size of the predictable signal. We think it might be too small in the forecast ensembles compared to what we think is hiding in the real world in terms of predictable elements. Um, so there are still questions about the winter and we're working hard on those and other people actually, not just in the UK, but in other parts of the world are picking up on these ideas and helping to look into those. The summer is a very new thing. For me, that was pretty unexpected. Um, for the winter, I steered my research group towards looking at that because we thought we had some strong suspicions and some evidence that there would be predictability there. But to find predictability in summer uh, and also for rainfall, I would never have guessed that. So I'm delighted to see that, but there are mysteries behind that about where it's coming from. We don't understand all the mechanisms. And of course, we need that understanding if we're going to build good computer models to be able to automate this so that society as a whole can benefit from these forecasts. Well, it sounds like a very exciting um, sector to be in at the minute. It and is, I I'm think. excited to see what you're going to come up with. Yeah, I think long range forecasting is a very exciting area yeah. at the moment. Well, thank you very much for joining me today on this beautiful summer's day in York. Um, Adam has joined us previously. He's featured on a couple of our podcasts, but in particularly recently a podcast about El Nino. If you wanted to find out more about that, check out our, our podcast page. Adam, I hope you enjoy the conference. Thank you very much, Tara.